<laughs> this series is the uh, best supporting actors, and uh, I've, we're looking at actors not in the idea of a male who takes on a fake role, but from the original meaning of one who acts, one who does. And there are a lot of people and a lot of uh, people who throughout the Bible who maybe did not get, they're not front headliners, they're not the Moseses, they're not the Davids, they're not Jesus or Paul. A lot of people may not know their names, but when we look at their lives, we just can pull so much wonderful stuff out of their lives. And we're going to start today with looking at one of my absolute favorites. We're looking at a man named Obed-Edom. And he's really going to help us in being able to move our relationship with God forward. I've loved Obed-Edom for years. Back years ago, we were um, actually, Cutie and I were putting together this little, uh, um, like a legal entity and we created a trust, and we actually named it Obed-Edom Trust, simply because of what Obed-Edom represents in our lives. And uh, so I just want to share with you all some of that today. One of the first things, we're going to just go ahead and look at this and look at the life of Obed-Edom. And I'm just going to give you the first thing first, and then we're going to pull open the Scripture and look at this. Because if you, don't walk, if you go out of here with only one thing today, please let it be this. That Obed-Edom welcomed the presence of God into his home. This was a transformational thing in the life of Obed-Edom and honestly in the life of Israel. And when he welcomed the presence of God into his home, it absolutely changed everything. Years ago, in Cutie and I's first year of marriage, because being welcomed is different than just simply being there. And so a lot of times somebody can just be there and not actually be very welcome there. God's presence is with us all the time, but it's a difference between welcoming the presence and, and desiring the presence of God and just kind of tolerating things or, or completely ignoring it. Anyways, as I was saying, in our first year of marriage, um, I was uh, working for uh, a guy here in town, and he had had a, a new business that he wanted to, to launch, and he wanted me to run it. Well, I was, we were, like I said, we were real young. I was 20 years old, and uh, we were going to go over there and visit with this man at his house, and he, we were going to share about the business plan and what he was expecting out of me and all of these things. And my wife, uh, she just, she's good about knowing things. Wives just can know things. I don't know how they know things, but they know things. And I've learned through the years to begin to pay attention more and more to my wife. And I've never been asked to leave anybody's home. I've never been kicked out of anybody's house, ever. And so I've never said, you know, I'm really tired of talking to you. Will you please leave? That's, that's never happened to me. And uh, so we're in the car going over these people's house. And my wife tells me, do not make them ask us to leave. And I was like... That's, that's never happened. What a random thing to say. And she's like, I'm serious, Brandon. Do not do that. I'm like, okay, no big deal. I, this has never happened to me in my life. No big deal. So we go over there, visit in with this uh, gentleman and his wife. We're having dinner, have a lot of the chit-chat that's normal. We haven't got down to brass tacks yet, haven't talked the business plan, haven't talked any of that stuff. And uh, there happened to be a, a presidential address come on. Well, he had a political bent, I had a political bent, and, and so we end up watching the presidential address, and we still haven't got to business yet, 
And we're moving forward with it. And then all of a sudden, he just looks over at me and says, well, let me be the first to tell you good night. And I just could not believe it. And my wife looked at me and she glared at me. And so he goes over to the door and opens the door and ushers us out of the house. And I just like, dear, I'm, I can't believe this just happened. Oh, she was so mad. It was a quiet, quiet ride the rest of the way home. But we'd never got to business. I didn't, and it was, it started getting late, but we'd never got to business. And I just couldn't believe that that, that had happened. But my wife somehow knew. She knew that that was, that was a possibility. And we hit this point that it was time for us to leave, that we weren't welcome there at that point anymore. It was time for us to go. And it is very different to have an attitude where the presence of God is always welcome or that there are just these little moments where God fits into our calendar when, okay, God fits into my part of the week and I show up on Sunday mornings and God fits here or, or I have my little bit of Bible time reading and God fits there or, or I show up to some other thing and God fits there and it's a totally different idea to have God welcomed in your home all the time where you want God's presence. Now we've got to give a little bit of backstory here on 2 Samuel. I have to give a little bit of story here before we get into this on chapter 6. Because David had been king of Judah and had just been made king of Israel. And, the, and the, all of the tribes are united. They had had, a, they had had a battle and now David was ready to bring everything, unite the kingdom there at, with a capital at Jerusalem. And it was wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was where the symbolized the presence of God, where the presence of God resided. Of course, God has always been omnipresent, so it wasn't like God was confined in that one little place. But it was a special place that was the, of the, the power and the presence of God, where Israel, when they had that, then the presence of God was there with them in a very real and tangible way. Well, it was not in Jerusalem. So David decided that they were going to go bring it in. He takes 30,000 of his men. It wasn't just this little errand that they send somebody on. They take this thing seriously. But David forgot to do something. David forgot to read the Old Testament. He forgot to read the Bible. He forgot to read the Mosaic Law that said how the, it was supposed to be moved. Now, he got what he thought was a good idea. He got a brand new cart. That'd be like us going and getting a brand new pickup to carry that thing. Had never had news, never had any sticks or twigs or, or <clears throat> anything in it. It was just pristine. And they went and got this brand new cart and set the Ark of the Covenant in it and go to carry it. Well, that's not the way it was supposed to be carried. It was supposed to be carried just like the presence of God today is carried by us, by the people of God. It was supposed to be carried by the priests. It was supposed to be carried on the shoulders. And so as they're trucking along, this ox that's pulling the cart stumbles. This man named Uzzah decides he's going to steady it. He doesn't want the presence of God to fall on the ground. And so he goes to steady it. And you're, it was totally forbidden to, to approach and just treat normally the presence of God. You were not allowed to touch it. And he touches it. And dies instantly. But ticked David off. Scared him and made him mad. Made him angry. And they just stop. 
everything right there and then try to figure out what to do. And this is where we pick up in 2 Samuel 6, 10 through 11. Now he, that's David, was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Here this tragedy just took place. David did not, did not know what to do. And this one man, everybody's afraid, and this one man welcomes the presence of God into his home. It was so impactful in three months that it was noticeable that God had blessed Obed-Edom. And we'll look to a point in a minute of just what that provokes in David, that he was so blessed. But it, was just, it is awesome to see that this man welcomed the presence of God, even though it, other folks may have been afraid, even though other people may have not understood what was going on. Obed-Edom opened his home to the presence of God. And, and it's different because actually if you'll look back and you'll read that the guy Uzzah who reached out and touched it, the ark was coming from his daddy's place. That's where it had been stored. And we don't see anything about the blessings of God being on his daddy's place. We don't see anything about that. It was just kind of there. It was just kind of hold away. And he was very familiar with it. Did not have the reverence and the awe. The one guy who should have known what to do because that presence had been there is the one guy who took it without anything and just, oh, we've got to steady this thing. And lost his life. Obed-Edom saw it very differently. It wasn't just the fact that it was in his home. It was the fact that he welcomed it into his home. It was the fact that he was grateful to have it there. We see there in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, of somebody else who welcomed Jesus into their home, but did not fully understand exactly what was happening there. What, what an awesome thing was in her home. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care about my, <clears throat> that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary, both of them were in the house. Both of them lived there. Both of them under that roof. Both of them had Jesus there. One of them chose to honor the presence there. And one of them didn't. Mary sat and would just listen, just bringing in the words of life directly off of Jesus' lips. She was embracing his teaching. She was embracing all that he was. And Martha was busy doing all the stuff. See, you and I, every day when we get up, we have the same choice. God's presence here, especially as believers, it abides in us. 
we don't have to go chasing after some ark or some relic or something that, to be in the presence of God. That's the beautiful thing. When Jesus died, the Bible says that veil that separated everybody from the presence of God got ripped from top to bottom. Opened it wide open. The presence of God abides with us. We enjoy God's presence 24-7. Mary had Jesus there in her home. But she was busy doing all the stuff that needed to be done. I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, in my relationship with God, it's not a, a lot of really horrible sin stuff that separates me from God. It's being busy. It's all of the stuff that has to be done. And that I'll hit the floor running and I'll have all of this list of things I've got to check off and I've got to do when really the one needful thing is to just be in the presence of God. To embrace his teaching. Does that mean we don't ever do the other thing? Does that mean we all should be monks and just humming on the side of some mountain and being in the presence of God? No. That's not what it means. There's a thing to be able to practically walk in the presence of God, but we have to honor that part. We have to honor God's presence. That's why Jesus came, was to reconcile us so we could have relationship with God again. It is a wonderful, beautiful thing. The presence of God was there, but she totally missed it. Obed-Edom, Mary, they understood what it was about. See, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My father will love him, and he will come to him. We will come to him and make our home with him. That has been God's plan the whole time, is to make his home with us. That was the whole point of Eden. That was the whole point of initial creation. That's where God hung out with Adam. Walked with him and enjoyed in the cool of the day. God's desire is to be his home, to be with us. And in Christ, we have that opportunity. See, Obed-Edom's blessed life inspired others to pursue the presence of God. His life let David know that there was no... <clears throat> That there was more to gain than to fear from the presence of God in the ark. Second Samuel 6.11, we're going to reread part of it. It says, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, word of the blessing of Obed-Edom's life got back to David. I don't know what kind of blessing this was. I don't know if his sheep just multiplied like crazy. I don't know if his wife got way prettier. I don't know what happened. I don't know if all of a sudden his investments turned over and just made tons of money. I don't know what happened with him. But it was noticeable in a short amount of time to the point that it makes its way back to the king. Now it's got to be pretty heavy duty for somebody to bend the king's ear over what's happening miles away at Obed-Edom's house. It's got to be something. Heavy. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is. We don't know what it is other than the blessing of the Lord happened in a noticeable way. In a noticeable way. And it changed everything. And so <clears throat> the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God, because of the presence of God. So David went down and brought up 
the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Now remember, he parked it over at Obed-Edom's house, angry and mad and ticked off. And then three months later, he sees how awesome Obed-Edom was blessed and decides, whoo, that's exciting. We're bringing that, we're doing it. We're excited about doing that. It absolutely changed everything that, that, that when in his life, in Obed-Edom's life, inspired King David that he didn't have to be afraid of the presence of God. That yes, there, it was something not handled loosely, but it wasn't something that you just had to run away from. That there was, God wanted to bring more into our life than there was the danger of, of something being lost. That God wants to bless our lives. Of course, it's, we're in the middle of the uh, Olympics, and I was watching uh, last night and watching some of our guy, folks uh, win some medals. And our ski team has been talking, and it's kind of been the buzz with the commentators that the, our U.S. ski team, both the women's and the men's, that the successes of one are really stirring up the other and that they're really gelling and it's not even though they're competing against one another in these individual events that they're really inspiring one another and uh, Bodie one of our male skiers just said that told one of the commentators he said you know all of our all, each win makes each one of us when our team one of our teammates wins that makes us want our own win all the more it, it's not a discouraging thing See, that's the, that is the wonderful thing with God. When God blesses somebody, it's not like God only has so much blessing and then somebody else got it. Oh, well, now there's none for me. <sighs> Why is that person always blessed and I don't have any because they take it all? No, God's, God has infinite resources. God wants to bless all of our lives. And when you see God, see a win in one person's life, that's, that's why we need to be talking and sharing about what God's doing in our lives. Because, man, that inspires us. It gets us going, man. Maybe one of us is having a, a struggle in one area. Not, somebody else just had a win. You're like, man, God just brought me through that. And that carries us on. It is so important. It is so important. See, 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for, for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. See, the beautiful thing is God wants to make an example out of you. And most people, you know, you say, God wants to make an example of you. are like, well, he's going to turn me into a little pile of dust or something. Don't mess with me. Don't be sinning. Don't be doing all this. I'll make an example out of you. No, that's not. God vented his wrath on Jesus. Jesus took all of that for us. Now, God wants to show what he can do with a life that loves him and trusts him. That is what God wants to do. He wants to show his power off in your life. He wants to show his love off in your life and show it to other people. Remember, it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. Not God's anger and wrath and fear and all of that mess. It's the goodness of God, and he wants to show it off. That's been mine and Cutie's prayer for years, is God make an example out of us. God, we want you to show your glory in our lives. God, we want you to do it. Lord, do it with us. 
And that should be all of our prayer. Lord, show your love off in my life. Obed-Edom's life inspired David. It made David get the courage to really pursue the presence of God. We also see that Obed-Edom was a worshiper and pursued the presence of God. There in 1 Chronicles 15, I got a whole bunch of hard names to say. Shebaniah, Joshaphat, Nathaniel, <clears throat> Amasiah, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eleazar, the priests, were to blow trumpets before the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were also to be doorkeepers for the ark. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of the units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Before the ark of the covenant, before God's presence left Obed-Edom's house, Obed-Edom had an assignment where God's presence was going to be. He moved with it. We don't know exactly how far away his house was from Jerusalem, but Obed-Edom and his family, they uprooted. Say, God, if that's where you're going, that's where I want to be. And they uprooted and moved. And now he had a whole new career. He was being a doorkeeper in the house of God. See, that what is so awesome, this is so beautiful, is the fact that he had enjoyed God's presence in his home, saw God's love poured out in his family's life. They were blessed in everything the report they got back to, to David. They were blessed in everything. And now he did not simply keep that to himself. He has now shifted and he has become a doorkeeper for the presence of God. He is helping other people go in and enjoy that presence. So you and I, when we have received Christ, he's come and abides in our hearts. He's in our lives. His presence is accessible to us. And now we whether you know it or not, are doorkeepers to the presence of God. We can either reveal what God has done in our lives and open our hearts to people. We can either allow God to minister through our lives and, and open the way for people to be in the presence of God, or we can keep it shut up. But either way, one way or the other, we are doorkeepers in the presence of God. First Chronicles 16.5 also says that uh, Asaph was the chief, Zechariah second, then Jalel, then hard names to say, then Jehel, and then some more hard names to say, and finally get to Obed-Edom. And they were to play the lyres and the harps, and Asaph was to sound the cymbals. A lyre and a harp was a stringed instrument. Obed-Edom was also a guitar picker for God. <laughs> he was... He would sit there and he would play skillfully. He was a worshiper. His heart was to worship God. And he, his skills were brought into that of just expressing and worshiping God. Years ago, when uh, Weston, our son that's about to be 11, was still eating out of a high chair and not talking real good. Um, so that puts Keenan at about three and a half, four years old. That we were making dinner and being busy in the kitchen and Weston was in his high chair and Keenan walks up to him and this little three and a half, four year old kid and Keenan starts talking to Weston and doing like a big brother should and kind of coaching him and telling him the ropes and all that and, and I'm busy there at the stove and I hear him, I hear Keenan tell Weston, now I'm going to teach you how to be a man of God. Well, whoop, that, 
that caught my ear. I'm curious, you know, what is he, what is this little kid's interpretation of being a man of God? You know, is it, uh, you know, talking real big and carrying a big Bible? You know, is it, is it preaching and like daddy? Is it, what is being a man of God to this little man? So he <clears throat> sits there and says, Weston, I'm going to teach you how to be a man of God. And he just throws his little hands up and begins to sing, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for you are worthy of all the glory. And he just begins to just sing and to just worship right there in front of Weston. What that little man understood, that to be a man of God was not all of these hoops and all of this stuff to jump through. That little guy changed my life. And reminded me that what it is to be a man of God is simply be a worshiper of God. To just worship Him. To keep Him at the top. To keep Him at the preeminent. Obed-Edom was a worshiper of God. He built his life around that. See, John 4.23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers... The Father seeks. God wants us worshiping Him in spirit and truth. Not putting on faces, not just making it all good. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. He was a guy that, that just got ticked because of what happened with God. God's shoulders are big enough to handle the truth of what's happening on the inside of us. He wants us to just express ourselves to Him, to love Him. To know that He cares about us enough to care about what's going on on the inside. You know, I don't share my life with every little stranger that walks by. I'll share what's going on with people that I know care about me. That's why our prayer lives reflect whether or not we really think God cares. What are we sharing with God? God wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then the last thing we have is Obed-Edom's life of service and worship created a legacy for his family. 1 Chronicles 26, 8 and 15 says, And all these were the descendants of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were capable men with the strength to do the work. Descendants of Obed-Edom, 62 in all. He had a lot of family. And then we jump down to verse 15. It says, And the lot for the south gate fell to Obed-Edom. His family took care of the south gate. And the lot for the storehouse fell to his sons. They were in charge of the storehouse, of where everything was stored up. They made sure that everything was taken care of. They were basically the accountants, and they, they made sure everything was accounted for and taken care of. Now, this goes on all the way through, and let's read here, 230 years later, in Second Chronicles 25, 24, it says, And he... As the king took all the gold and silver and all the articles found in the temple of God that had been stored in the care of Obed-Edom. Now, Obed-Edom is not over 230 years old. That's representative of his family and his lineage. Together with the palace treasures and the hostages and returned to Samaria. They took the stuff here for 230 consecutive years. His family had been serving God. In that capacity, Obed-Edom opened up a legacy for his family. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, as Paul's talking to his son in the faith, Timothy, 
which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And here's some, a grandmother and a mother that left a legacy of faith. Obed-Edom was a father and grandfather that left a legacy of faith. But here is Lois and Eunice who left a legacy of faith and that Timothy was walking in. See, I am so grateful that, some of, that I get to carry on. I'm the one that gets to carry on a heritage of faith. Some of y'all are point blank. Y'all are the ones starting it. Y'all didn't inherit a, an inheritance of faith. Y'all didn't have it modeled out in your home, but I did. See, I was impacted big time as a kid because when back before they did all the recordings and stuff, they would show the, the local stuff and you actually had to go down to the TV station and get in front of the camera and they'd do it live. And I remember getting up early on a Sunday morning and there's my dad on TV with his Bible and our pastor discussing the things of God on our local television. And that just so impacted me. Here is this this thing on, on TV. My dad is leading people in, in the things of God. And I have this heritage of faith. I remember all through junior high and high school getting up and my mom had already been up and she had her Bible out and she had been studying and praying. Sometimes I'd get mad at the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would tell on me to my praying mama. And she had no thing, she had no way of knowing other than the Holy Spirit read me out. And she would, and kept, God kept a tight leash on me through my praying mother. See, our, how we embrace God, not just on Sunday mornings, but also at home. We get to set up this heritage, this legacy of faith. That's why this discipleship program that we're doing with your kids is so important. Because there's you're going over through those through those little pages and making sure they're done, that's being confirmed by mom and dad that this is important, that learning the scriptures is important, that what God has to say is important. That's why we're teaching the same thing in here. And right now they're talking about Obed-Edom, two theaters over with all these little kids on their level. Why? Because it is so vital. So that when we have lunch today, that you have some questions in your bulletin that you can ask your kids and, and have these discussions and have a, about the heritage and create this heritage of faith, this legacy. Obed-Edom invited the presence of God into his home. And it changed a nation. It changed his family. See, and he shows us how to pursue God's presence and to do it. But to be able to do that, we have to have start at ground zero. And that's with the relationship with God. You cannot pursue God. We only come to God through Christ. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by him. It's not that God's just making a monopoly. It's the fact that our sin issue is not dealt with any other way. Only Christ is capable to take that burden off of us and put us back in connection with God. Only Jesus is. And so this morning I'd appreciate it if ever 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 this morning I'd appreciate it.